Hello and welcome to Football Not Soccer, your favourite Australian football podcast where we bring to you all the latest in news and reviews from the last week in Australian football. And my, my, what a week it has been with the Australian A-League clubs in the semi-finals living up to the standards set by their European Super Club counterparts in the UEFA Champions League this week. But before we get too stuck into anything that is outside of our little bubble in Australian A-League football, Rob, I must ask, as is tradition, how is Berlin, my friend? <laughs> Berlin's very good, my friend. Hey. <laughs> Mate, what a week of football. Holy shit, this must be one of the closest, uh, one of the best weeks of football for like if you're completely looking at it from a neutral kind of perspective in Australia and in Europe uh it's been riveting for the last eight or nine days now and it's uh, I'm so glad that the A-League finals was such a red hot uh weekend of football because it looks so good for football in Australia when we do deliver in these games and they do look so uh, yeah, tantalizing uh, and European football cam. What the hell was going on there? It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. It's been about seven days since Vincent company rifled in that winner against Leicester city and Manchester city, of course, have become champions of England since then. Uh, but you know, that was completely followed up by some of the craziest scenes I've ever seen in European football with Liverpool destroying Barcelona. And then that ridiculous last minute winner against Ajax for, Tottenham Hotscum, I mean Tottenham Hotspur. Um, so it absolutely has been wild. And but the thing, the thing I am proudest of as an Australian football fan is the fact that going into the A League semi-finals, you could be forgiven for thinking that it was going to be a bit of an underwhelming spectacle. And yet, like you said, if you were a neutral going into those games, that Perth, I mean, we'll talk about it at length in just a second. But that Perth Adelaide game was one of the craziest semi-finals. Nay, one of the craziest football matches I've ever watched in knockout football, followed up, followed up by the absolute evisceration of Melbourne victory at the hands of their fiercest rivals, Sydney FC. So there's not much we can say uh, about those games without giving away too many spoilers about what we're going to chat about in just a minute. But, you know, before we get stuck in, I think it's probably fair to say that even since we recorded, Rob, some things have come to pass that we probably predicted beginning specifically with the fact that Warren Joyce has now been sacked from Melbourne City after what has been an underwhelming series of seasons for him. Do you have any last words for Warren Joyce before we move uh, on swiftly? Because I think we've said quite a lot. <laughs> I mean, we we both knew it was going to happen coming out of that game um, from last weekend. And we, we alluded to it in the show and it was announced shortly after we published um, uh, but yeah, he's, it's a good buy, Mr. Joyce. He was average at best. And yeah. I don't really, you know, there's a few people in the media, um, kind of backing him and saying he didn't do such a bad job, but really like it's the, it's that Mourinho thing just cause you're kind of getting the results to stay in it. You're playing gross football. It wasn't promoting the club's kind of image of what they want to be. He was kind of uh, so inconsistent, and yeah, just he he won't be missed. He was a grouchy old man on the sideline as well. He he did nothing for football in Australia, and I'm glad he's gone. Yeah, absolutely. And and like you said, hopefully that role will go to someone who has proven themselves in the A League because the quality in that Melbourne City squad just begs for a coach that can put them into line, you know, and crack the whip and get them get them rolling, get them yeah, playing, just getting the best, yeah. And, and I also, interestingly, during that Perth game, I heard Simon Hill, reputable uh, football journalist and commentator, stating that Marco Kurz was on their wish list and that he was being linked to the club. And I don't know if he picked that up from our podcast last week, but he certainly had he certainly had stuff to say about it. So it's pretty interesting that we kind of semi-predicted that going into that game. And I'm sure we will hear a lot more about that in the coming weeks as the uh, as the fallout from the A League season begins to to go ahead, and I guess moving right along from that, before we get stuck into that Matilda squad that came out in midweek, we've got the Johnny Warren medalist Roy Krishna, who has also added uh, yeah the Johnny Warren medal to his golden boot to finish off an absolutely stellar season from the Fiji. And I've got to say, 
he, he has been incredible and it's no surprise that he's being linked to the likes of Sydney FC now uh, and potentially will move on to bigger and better things following up uh, a move internally in the A-League, which, which tends to kick off a lot of players' careers. I mean, you've got guys like Aaron Moy uh, that just jumps to mind who went, you know, from a pretty high, highly well-performing Wanderers squad into Melbourne City, played two absolute blinder seasons and then ended up in the English Premier League mm. via the championship. Yeah, you never know where football can take you, Cam. Yeah, definitely. That's right, yeah. And um, and then uh, as well as that, we had Christine Nahn who took out the Julie Dolan medal uh, and Chris Economides and Ellie Carpenter deservedly took out the Youth Player of the Year awards respectively. Do you, I guess, do you have anything to add to those to those accolades? I mean, uh, I think we probably saw that coming for across the board, to be honest. Yeah, no, I, I think um, besides Krishna and maybe Castro, who would have been a very close second. Um, Chris Economides was insanely good the entire season. So was Ellie Carpenter. Um, Christine yep. Nairn, of course, the US international, had a stellar season in the W League. And you can't really make any complaints. I'm not a real big one for these individual awards, but it's a nice night for all of football to come together and kind of be one community. And well done to Krishna. Big, big shout yeah. out to him. Yeah. Good on him. Good on him. Yeah. Because I think, yeah, as much as I'm, I'm uh, uh, with you, I'm kind of... Uh, a little bit against individual awards in football, you've got to acknowledge the fact that Krishna took Wellington Phoenix and him and his own performances to a completely different level this season mm. under the guidance of Mark Rudin, who unfortunately will be leaving the club, but you know, you, you never know where he's going to uh, end up. Western, and, um, Western guess, United. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Sorry, I've got a bad cough over here. <laughs> well, that Kurto signing was also made official. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah who knows? Maybe he'll, um, maybe he'll, he'll match up with his, um, with his keeper from this season. But you know what? Moving on to something that I, I think is, is really important and worth mentioning is the fact that Andy Brennan, uh, who used to play for Newcastle Jets, for anyone playing at home, becomes the first active Australian men's footballer to formally announce his sexuality um, as gay. The announcement comes from the, um, from the former Newcastle Jets attacker who currently plies his trade for Green Gully in, uh, in the Victorian Premier League. And uh, this is a quote from him saying, it's taken me years to get comfortable saying this. I'm gay. I was scared it would affect my friendships, my teammates and my family. But the support of the people around me has been so great and helped me get to the final step, being completely open. A move that hopefully encourages healthy discussion in the Australian footballing landscape. And I must say that I, I really am, am super stoked to hear that because you, you really hear a lot of stories of people you know, being scared and and being a little bit hesitant to come out in uh, in the footballing community, and it's all based on this weird machismo vibe that tends to occupy footballing communities. And it's really great to see that someone has taken that step. And although it might not necessarily be the profile of player that's going to really forward the discussion, it is something that I think all football people can get behind because. As far as Australian football, anyway, it tends to be a pretty progressive sport uh, compared to maybe some of the other codes that exist in this country. Yeah, absolutely, and it's uh, it's it's notable to say that um, a couple of gay rights um, advocates have come out and supported this um, decision for him to come out, and they made some recommendations just about what to do in the stands if you hear people saying this kind of um, anti-gay rhetoric, um, and just the, the, it's good to have that conversation started and can you know brought to the the mainstream media of Australian football and you know everyone should feel comfortable to be whoever they are on the football pitch it's my favorite thing about football throughout uh, my, my career is just it's it's a game for everybody and so it should be and if you are somebody who doesn't agree with that you really need to have a think about your own kind of ideologies on this topic because it is a game for everybody men women children whatever color whatever ethnicity race um sexuality preference it's it's the, that's why it's the world game it's the best game absolutely and um and we look forward to hopefully uh like andy brennan said we look forward to hopefully opening up that discussion you know in, in ways that will hopefully affect that in in a more societal sense moving forward and i guess from that, we can talk about um, the Matilda squad, which did get announced. It was about 12 hours ago, Cam, at our time. Yeah, of well, there you go. So, so midweek, you were spot on with your earlier um, 
notification, I guess, to the pod. But um, it's a yep. pretty it's a pretty yep. stock standard uh, Australia lineup. There's only a, one notable omission with Kaya Simon. Um, she's obviously had yeah, it's been, a damn shame. Huh? She's she's amazing. Fo- she's an amazing footballer. Um, she has just come back for her US team, and maybe that's just a little bit too late. She is being taken on the pl- taken on the plane to the oh, training she has camp. To. Has um, to go on the plane. Well, she's sure. there. She's the she's the backup at the moment. And uh, Milicic came out and basically just said anything can happen in football. They want he wanted to have her in the squad, but she hasn't got enough minutes under her belt. But that has opened up um, the door for Mary Fowler, the sixteen year old prodigy who's been trotting all over Europe trialing with teams so it's going to be interesting to see her go and apparently she is just a phenomenal player and she's going to be you know the next Sam Kerr in terms of uh, Australian football so you know fingers crossed for her to um to to have a really good tournament if she does get the chance to play a game besides that Cam we got um, players like Gilnick and Alana Kennedy, Tamika Yallop, formerly Tamika Butt, um, Lydia Williams, uh, all the all the key players um Importantly, Lisa Devana um, was Ooh, included yeah. in the Huge. squad. Who I think, although she didn't have her most glittering uh, W League season uh, last last the the season that just finished, um, she's got more experience than probably half of the. Oh, she's got more experience than most people in the world of football, and she uh, yeah. sh- showed her kind of caliber not too long ago when she was um, able to score a goal for in, for the Socceroos in that little tournament we had. So I'm, I'm really excited. Hayley Rasso, another big mention. She um, broke her back 12 months ago and she's in the squad and she looked electric when she played in that little tournament as well. Um, Ellie Carpenter's so young and she looks absolutely amazing. There's so many good players, Cam. I don't, I don't know about you. Any Anyone that I didn't mention really stand out for you? No, I mean, uh, I mean, just the old favorites, like you said. You've got Caitlin Ford, Emily Van Egmond. Uh, I think you know Kellen Knight. You've got all these players that have, have been really big for us in uh, you know in the mm-hmm. last twelve to eighteen months, and it's going to be really good to see them going into that tournament because I think you know a lot of people have said around the world, and I've got to agree that we could potentially look at being dark horses to win the whole thing because we have quality, quality squad. And um, as far as Australian fo- uh, as, as far as uh, women's football is concerned, Australia is definitely not leaps and bounds behind some of the other biggest nations in the world. Um, and that, and I would put that also down to, you know, physical evidence of us taking on some of the best teams and, and really putting into them. And I also just wanted to mention that uh, although we, we had spoken about in earlier weeks about Milicic potentially going over to the Southwestern Sydney franchise that's going to be coming into the A-League in a couple of years, he has received a one-year contract extension to stay with the Matildas uh, until the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, should they qualify for that tournament. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on as well, because it means he's going to get another year of international football under his belt. And if he does end up getting a contract with that new franchise going into the 2020-2021 season in the A-League, which I guess, to be honest, will match up pretty well considering the Olympics are mm. generally in July-ish, then he's going he's gonna to really look to be a pretty hot prospect if he hits the ground running as he's done at the Matildas, you know? Mm, uh, but I, Yeah, but I guess, um, you know, that, that probably does it for us in the, um, in the Australian Matildas oh, squad just announcement. One more for, for us. I think Sam Kerr, we forgot to mention her biggest best player captaining the oh, well, comp. So I know we yeah, we well, always I mean, talk about her so much, but she is by far one of the best footballers in the world and Australia's best footballer. So I'm really excited that she's hot and um, scoring in the USA. So it's really good. Um, anyway, love it. Let's let's jump on. Sorry before I jumped right back in yeah. there, Cam. No, lo- absolutely love Sam Kerr, and and I guess you know, um, on that note, speaking about some of the best quality in you know in women's football nationally internationally whatever we'll take a very quick break and head into what is probably one of the craziest results in australian a-league knockout semi-final finals football in the history of the competition Sydney FC took on Melbourne victory in the second semi-final, which decided who would be taking on Perth, who ultimately came out on top 
against Adelaide United, which we will talk about in just a second. But Rob, Sydney FC 6, Melbourne Victory 1. We did not see this coming, my friend. (laughs) Uh, We did not. Uh, I mean, Sydney FC in front of... 12,000-odd home fans uh, really showed up for this game. Uh, headed, it was their 50th game with Melbourne Victory, and, and Sydney FC went in as underdogs. Uh, that underdog tag lasted about three minutes when, ironically, Sydney-born <laughs> Lawrence Thomas dropped uh, an early corner, and it was dispatched by the, the probably the informed centre-back of the Hyundai A-League, Aaron Carver, which is really sad to see for a Sydney FC fan because he's heading out the door at the end of the season. But that made it 1-0 in the third minute and basically Sydney FC took control right in the 43rd minute the second goal rocketed in after a a deflection popped up nicely for the retiring uh, Sydney FC captain Alex Brosk and the third came from the Oh, in, emphatically, a, that's probably, emphatically I, finish I, from the retiring captain. I mean, if if that wasn't the biggest minute of the game, what happened next in added time of the first half with Lee Broxham glancing ahead of past uh, Thomas uh, into his own goal um, was probably the key moment. But I don't know about you, Cam. When I was watching the game, I was thinking this is the week of football that the most insane, crazy comebacks have happened. And I was very uh, kind of nervous as a neutral, just kind of watching on and seeing what was happening. And I thought, can Melbourne victory do it here? Uh, but that that feeling... I felt, I felt, I've got to say, just to interject, I felt so bad for Lee Broxham. He's an absolute Melbourne victory legend and a, a club favourite for sure. He's been there f- for so long. He's been such a loyal club servant played across so many different positions, you know, fullback, center yeah, mid, he's needed. He's, center defensive he's mid, he's played on the wing, he's played center back, he's played pretty much every position <laughs> on that field except for goalkeeper and for him for him to be culpable in that goal after that seemed young cross was just absolutely crushing for the Melbourne victory yeah. fan, I think. And I tell you what, the feeling of at halftime for the Sydney FC was not of concern because they came back from the break and showed some pretty decent control of the game and they didn't they didn't let victory back in. And as the game opened up, LaFondra was brought down in the box by the tired legs of Niedermeyer and he finished the resulting penalty with a plum. Uh, and sh- then shortly after, the writing was on the wall as 4-0 came along, uh, Alfie popped up for his second uh, and the emergency flares were lit for Kevin Musket uh, before obviously the six went in for Sydney um, <laughs> by an absolutely destructive Ninkovic who had an immense game for the Sky Blues. Ola Toivonen snatched one yeah. back right on late, uh, probably didn't even deserve it at that point. Um, but that was the equal highest final scoreline in the competition history, Cam. And that was a game that me and you I have to hold up our white flag and say that we had no idea that that was coming. Well, I just, I mean, just to mirror something that Adam LaFondra said in the post-match, I just don't think Melbourne Victory had any sort of answer for the movement that Sydney FC were moving, had to, had to show for themselves moving forward. I mean, it's not that uncommon to see Melbourne Victory absorb pressure and try and catch teams on the break. But you know, that early goal just completely unsettled them. And, and Lawrence Thomas, someone who I think deserves to come into a lot of criticism because although he was a, a stalwart for them in the finals last season, uh, especially bravely facing up to that huge kick in the face from O'Donovan, I think that he was hugely culpable in this, in this uh, finals, in this final series. And although that he didn't really show too much issue with that game against Wellington in the preliminary final. I think he was he was pretty poor in this game and he just showed no control and he just showed uh, no, I guess, match fitness for about a, a lack of a better term. And, and it really shows that he hadn't been playing le- leading into um, this final I, series. I don't, don't know if think? he was to blame for the other five, but that first one really was the horrible way to start the game for Melbourne Victory and it started on the back of his gloves. I don't know. Yeah, you, you could probably write with the, the match sharpness and maybe his confidence was gone once that kind of third-minute goal went in. Um, but yeah, he looks like an absolutely uh, different player to what he was last year. And it's only you can only kind of speculate if something's happening behind closed doors there, but he does not look like a happy chap. And um, I don't know what it is. Maybe he needs a move to kind of reinvigorate his career because if he continues on that downward... Yeah. Um, 
turn, he's he's in trouble coming a couple of years, and he's not old. He's 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 a perfect age for a goalkeeper right now. He should be just coming into his peak. Um, yeah, but you know what? Not focusing on Lawrence Thomas for too much. Yeah. Steve Corica, he's been touting around that Sydney FC will open the floodgates one day soon. And how would you see that coming against a, a, a very decent Melbourne victory team in finals football at Jubilee Park? Uh, you, you must be pretty happy if you're Steve Coker in your first season of football right now, finishing second and um, pulling the pants down of Kevin Musket in front of, your, in front of um, the Sydney home fans. <laughs> Cam? Absolutely. Well, I think I think the biggest thing for me was... And just to kind of touch on that Lawrence Thomas discussion again, because uh, of course he wasn't solely to blame. I mean, Melbourne victory were all, all over the place defensively, but I think that does take root from you know a steady a steady head at the very back. And just to just to borrow a couple of phrases from our English football counterparts, I mean, probably the signing of the season for me in the Premier League was Alison Becker, the goalkeeper for Liverpool FC, and I think that that kind of presence at the very back of a, of a team just does mm. provide quite a lot of stability to a back four that is hugely experienced in these high pressure situations and they can't necessarily have been the only people that were culpable you could see that mom victory were trying to do their usual thing that they do against sydney fc which was you know get really physical get really touch tight and try and take control of the match in that way but sydney fc just weren't having anything of it and i think in terms of getting a move to try and re- reinvigorate his career, it kind of s- is starting to feel a little bit like maybe Kevin Musket has taken victory as far as he can because although that they, you know, always tend to show up and they've always been in and around the finals, if not winning it in under, under his tutelage, I think this season in particular has shown a huge drop-off in quality compared to last the, the previous seasons. And that's not just in terms of results because like I said, they did finish third. They finished right up there. But in terms of performances, you got to say that Melbourne Victory have really dropped off compared to the standard that we expect them to set, don't you think? Well, yeah, and this isn't the first season this happened. Last season was a very scratchy season, and obviously a few, of the, a small portion of their fans were calling for Musket's head. Uh, obviously, he turned it around and got the best out of them towards the end of the season. But what it looks like this season is that he cannot he's not managing his squad quite right because he's not getting the best out of him week in, week out. Like, you know that that Melbourne victory squad could could be doing, like we saw in the first maybe half of the season when they were purring. They were probably better than Perth at that time, but he wasn't able to sustain that. I, I'm In my head, I know he's a bit of a grindy character when it comes to the football field, regardless of, of he's the nicest guy in the world off the park. But I think it can be quite... Um, grinding for players over time and you know you kind of get sick of hearing that same voice so you I don't know I don't know what happens um in the musket um dressing room and I don't know what happens in the training ground but I can only assume that maybe they just need a bit of a freshen up even though he's he's one of the top managers in the A-League and if you did get rid of him you're opening yourself up to a bit of risk but I think maybe for him even it's time for trying a new challenge maybe abroad and kind of opening his wings up and learning some new skills because you know staying in the same place for too long in football um, these days I think is is a bit of a dangerous thing so yeah Um, maybe on to something a little bit less nice Cam? Yeah well I guess just to mention it quickly Rory Carroll was evicted from this from uh, Jubilee Stadium after having an altercation with the Jubilee security Uh, and then after that the New South Wales police following an argument about taking his disabled daughter to the nearest toilet and there are conflicting reports about Rory potentially seeking a different type of beverage or perhaps that he has a bit of a history about this but all the evidence that I've seen does point to a little bit of a weird altercation and you know I'm no I'm no fan of the police in any situation I don't think there needs to be a police present at these kinds of at these kinds of events because how often really is there going to be violence or, or any sort of un, unworldly behavior that really requires such a huge right police presence. And, and I always argue that that kind of stuff tends to inflict fear in people rather than provide a, you know, a, a platform for peace. Uh, he's had his say on, on various different media outlets and I don't really want to get no. too stuck into this because I haven't spoken to the man and I haven't necessarily seen too much about it, but I do want to mention that 
for for a long time now. I followed Rory on Twitter and he's followed me and we've had some pretty decent interactions on there, which is pretty I guess pretty coincidental in this situation because you know, he's not he's not a massive figure in football, but and and neither am I by any stretch of uh, the imagination, but it's just it's just pretty I find it pretty funny that of all the people to turn up on the news having an argument with cops, it was a guy that I've been following on Twitter for the last 12 months. Um but yeah, yeah, I, I, I definitely will m- maybe follow up on this a little bit further. And it's obviously unsavory. Again, the cops that need to get involved in this kind of shit, especially when a guy's just trying to take his daughter yeah. to the bathroom. Let's just have a quick breather and then we'll get stuck right into one of the craziest games in A-League Finals football history. Fuck it. I will take you with me. You might learn something. About soccer? Nah, mate. Not about soccer. And for fuck's sake, stop saying soccer. Welcome back to Football Not Soccer, your favourite Australian football podcast. And we are neck deep in some of the craziest, absolute craziest scenes that we've ever seen in the Australian football calendar. With Perth glory ultimately prevailing against an absolutely battling Adelaide United following a 3-0 draw at the end of extra time and then a 5-4 win on penalties for Perth Glory, who ultimately did reach out and take their chance at at a grand final at home with both hands. But my, 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 did they not stumble on the way. It was absolutely, it was honestly one of the craziest things I've ever watched. Look, I got home, I I chucked this on because I was like, you know what? Got to watch it for the pod. Got to watch it because I love the football. And and you know what? When when Diego Castro scored that goal in the 29th minute, that beautiful pass that he took in his stride, and then a lot of people didn't recognize this at the time, but he did the classic Alexis Sanchez in his pomp where he kind of faked a shot cross goal and then just tucked it in the near post. And people were giving Izzo a lot of flack for not defending his near post. But he it got... genius. It was absolutely genius from Diego Castro. And that finish was so intelligent. And I, I thought from that yeah, moment... Yeah, like no, There was... Yeah. Cam, there was no space. No, I <laughs> there know. There was no space to outrageous. squeeze that. It was so good. It was outrageous. Anyway, and then, go on. Sorry, well, I, no, no, no. Don't don't apologize. I think the craziest thing following on from that was the fact that P- Perth were really controlling the game. You know, they, they were keeping it pretty cagey and Adelaide were being pretty predictable. They were going, everything they were doing was going through Goodwin. They had nothing on the right side. And although they did have, you know, a couple of, minor opportunities to get in behind. Blackwood got caught offside. And, you know, when that second goal went in late on, it really did seem like the game was killed. And then two minutes later, Marco Kurz showed his pure, pure quality as a coach and made an absolute game-changing <laughs> sub, bringing on Milusinic and completely swung the game in Adelaide's favor. They started pushing everything through the right and overloading and you know what? Um, no one's going to ever accuse Tony Popovich of not being a great coach. And he did, he did well to react to that, bringing on Scott Neville. But it was just a little bit too late because Adelaide started getting into their pomp. And then, although he didn't necessarily get it on the score sheet, he was absolutely instrumental in providing the pressure that required Adelaide United to then equalize in the 90th, uh, in the 90th minute through, uh, through Kito. After after Baba Diawara put in that 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 beautiful horrible Diawara. that beautiful horrible <laughs> atrocious disgusting goal mouth scramble <laughs> the ones that I love so much and and the best thing about it was that Adelaide but all, all three of their goals never uh, we'll get to the third one in just a second but all three of their goals were just horrible they were just horrible goals <laughs> hey come on no whoa 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 whoa. Ryan Kitto's finish showed no, nerves no, 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 of steel. It was the ninety-fourth minute. Absolutely, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not saying that the, the 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 nerves weren't there because Adelaide in this game were all heart, all all heart, all nerve, all battle. But in terms of quality yeah. of chance, like the way that those chances were created were just atrocious. Like there was a corner, there was three rebounds. There was, I mean, granted that that Maroney one at the end was a beautiful chip cross um, and a powerful header, but you know it was all it was all born from the fact that they had momentum following this absolute momentum swing when Milusinic came on. And I'm not, I'm not, 
don't get me wrong, I'm not giving them any flack for it at all. They fully deserve to go into into penalties in this one, but I've got to say, Perth Glory made a massive, massive, almost, almost made a massive, massive hell of it. When Scott Neville scored that goal in the 104th minute, mate, I thought it was over. <laughs> it was it was just the craziest game I've ever seen. I just didn't expect, like, especially because it was on a Friday, like two days after that Spurs game, and a, you know, four days after that Barcelona Liverpool game, and I was just like, "What the hell is going on in Australian in football? What's happening?" <laughs> I, just, I don't know, mate. It was oh. so good. I'm I'm with you on that 110. percent And I love that Adelaide just did not say die. And that's that that they're gonna miss that, and and, and that's curse all the way through. Because you see so many A League teams um, just give up quite easily, yeah. and not just show that like you're not gonna give an inch in the game. And Adelaide just kept on going and going, and and those shitty goals that we were talking about, although they were great, they came no, they from great. Adelaide just being there and yeah. grafting and grinding their way through the game, and it was so good to see. Um, kind of curves he's the most animated manager i think the a-league might have ever seen although like i'll happily be refuted but he is a hundred percent the the 12th player there because he, i think if he could pull on his boots if, if he was a few years younger oh, he'd be man. on there he would have been slide tackles J- just to just to make it a little bit boring for the listener and, and do a, a little bit of analysis just because you know we will talk about the grand final in just a second but i just wanted to say that you know, Perth Glory at the start of the second half did really, really well to contain Adelaide United and deny them the space that they needed to work in. And Kilkenny, who we spoke about in, in last week's pod, who who might be looking a bit of a doubt for this game, was absolutely immense in the midfield, you know, harrying, closing down the space, making sure that he was standing in the exact right positions to, to restrict the passing through the middle and forcing everything that Adelaide United had out wide, which ultimately worked in their favor because that's what they were really trying to do anyway. I mean, every time Adelaide got the ball, they were trying to find Goodwin pretty much immediately before, you know, before, before even trying anything else. And, and that's, that's, not, that's not a bad thing. You know, Goodwin's probably one of their best players. And, and it almost came to fruition, but then as soon as Milusinic came on, it just opened the game up. And, and I've got to say, like Adelaide United, but besides the graft and the, and the will and the strength of character and everything that we've just spoken about, they, they played some really good football in this game. Besi- you know, besides the, the chance creation, I thought like, especially in the first half, before Castro scored that first goal, I was actually really thinking that Adelaide were going to do it. And they just looked like they were totally pumped up for this game. And um, a couple of notes here that I just want to mention so that the listener can, can get an idea of what was going on through my head. Um, where's this one? Scott Neville comes on, struggling to get up to speed. Oh, wait, he just scored to put Perth through to the, fi- uh, <laughs> to the grand final. <laughs> and, then, and then, and then, um, and then, oh, Davidson's trying his little heart out. And, uh, and Castro has dropped off a bit. Oh, but he's picking his moments. Oh, he almost scored. Oh, no chance. No chance. Oh, my God. And then, this and is then, very, very hilarious. And then, and, then, <laughs> and then for the Adelaide one, this is all I wrote down. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> what a game. <laughs> and then I just want to mention... Put them up. Before, you better put those notes up on uh, Instagram, Cam. Before we, before we get stuck into the, uh, the penalty shootout, which in itself was one of the greatest spectacles I've ever, ever seen, one of my favorite moments in this game, and if the listener was watching it as intently as I was or, or watching it at all on, um, on Fox Sports, that, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. When, Adelaide, when the whistle blew and then Adelaide got together in a huddle to start talking penalties... <laughs> The camera went right up to the huddle and Kurz was standing kind of at the at the back of the circle facing the camera where the camera was coming from. And as soon as he saw it, he broke the lines. He came out through the circle, walked straight past his players and just went at the camera like, get the, what the fuck are you doing? Get the hell out of here. Like he full went at the camera like crazy. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And then uh, the cameraman was just backing off at like lightning speed and you could hear Simon Hill going, oh, we better get, we better pull him out of there while he still got eyes it was so fucking funny man <laughs> um but then you know the penalties like oftentimes you can you can say that penalties don't can't define a game but i think that these penalties almost exactly defined how this game went and f- when i cannot believe that castro missed like that absolutely floored me and i thought from that moment that 
that Adelaide United that the momentum had swung so well in their in their favour, and then for Sias to miss, it was just yeah the, the other most guy on the pitch that you'd the oh. two guys oh, Cam man. the two people that I'd I'd say here's my house keys. If you miss this penalty, <laughs> I lose everything. Yeah. It'd be first Diego Castro, yeah. second Isaias. They both missed a pen. That Isaias one is much bigger than the Castro one, just because, like you said, oh, yeah. if he would have scored that, That's that would have been the game the pretty game. much over. Although uh, Liam Reddy pu- stepping up to the plate and absolutely rocketing one into the roof of the net. What an He looks so gun. confident. He was never missing that. You know, like yeah. you could tell that. I love it when a goalkeeper takes it in the first five because you know they were like, give me the fucking ball. I'm taking yeah. a penalty. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? They're like, I'm not losing in this either way he, he was full of confidence hey how good was craig goodman's panenka oh, really showed botiak how to actually take that right the sergio ramos of panenka's like it, it wasn't it was a beautiful panenka. it wasn't really a panenka but it was more like a zidane chip you know where it just almost hit the post yeah. and just hit the roof of the net it was the coolest thing i've ever seen and then the the drama rob the drama i mean we've spoken before was it about five Izzo, in a row missed or four in a row five in a row yeah. saved my friend and we've spoken. Saved. True, I want to say we've spoken about Izzo's quality all season. And although he doesn't have the best foot game, as far as shot stopping and, and awareness and positioning goes, he's only getting undone by absolute pure quality, like Castro's first goal. Mm. But he has been huge. And the, the character, Rob, he was playing on one leg. That's another thing I forgot to mention. Adelaide, the last 15 minutes of regular time, never mind extra time, they were playing on one leg. I mean, Constantopoulos, who was probably one of their best players in the whole game, playing in the mids, mm. was playing on one leg for the last 10 minutes. Like, he couldn't walk, and let alone run. And then Paul Izzo had to go off and, um, and get a yeah. shot in his hip so that he couldn't feel it because he was in that much pain that he couldn't even take goal kicks at the end of the game. It was absolute, That's insane, it was absolute it? madness. And then... And do you know what? Like where, where we've glossed row. over... Oh my God. You know what we've glossed over? Adelaide United played uh, 120 minutes just a week ago. Yeah. The mental exertion and the physical exertion from that kind of game. Outrageous. You are playing at your, your very best. And they've come and played another 120 minutes. And then the, the amount of pressure that is on from a penalty shootout um, men- mentally and physically uh, is just intense. And Adelaide United just didn't have what it took to put the game away, unfortunately. And yeah. Perth Glory go, flu- go through probably deservedly. Because Adelaide were uh, clinging on there in that game. But yeah, huge, huge result. I love finals football in Australia. I know it's not the most popular thing. And it doesn't necessarily tell you the best footballing team for the whole year. But it is exciting and it is fun to watch. And it is, you do get games like this. uh, Although there are some duds. I mean, maybe not the best way to decide a season, but it's a fantastic way to end the season. You know, just teams coming together and playing the absolute heart out and um perth glory sydney fc for first and second that's um the finals are going to be going to yeah. either one of the two best teams which is pretty good so it wasn't the sixth best team scraping through and getting into the grand final winning it it was the, it's the top two now and i think this is as good a time as ever and any to just get away from these games that have happened and look towards the next game which i'm very very excited about because like i said it is the best two teams Sydney FC just won 6-1. Perth Glory won in a, in a glorious penalty shootout against Adelaide. And now they've got each other. And it's just down to the two of them. And it's uh, it's it's exciting. Sydney FC obviously yeah. won the last game against Perth. Um, 1-0. Uh, Perth Glory won the second game of the season 3-1. Uh, Sydney FC won the first game of the season uh, 2-1. So I'd, I'd say in terms of the way the game's going to go, it's very close yeah. for the season and Perth Glory would fancy themselves, but that 120 minutes with a few players like Castro's got old legs and Kilkenny's coming back from that injury. Yeah, so there's, there's a big, there's a big leveler there. And I think Sydney FC um, would really fancy their chances after dismantling Melbourne victory 6-1. It's going to be very interesting to see who's the more uh, aggressive team in this game or if Perth are going to allow Sydney FC to play a little bit more and um, sit back a bit deeper or if Sydney FC are in f- I don't see Sydney FC doing anything but going straight for the jugular in this game but my prediction of Sydney FC last week was way off kilter so I don't, I don't know Cam what do you see coming from this game well, it's, I it's mean, so exciting I love it based specifically on the coaching of, of both of these teams I think you're, you're pretty much on the money 
with Perth playing a containment game at least for the first half an hour like they, they did against yeah, Adelaide. I don't know. But, well, that's exactly what... It hasn't what, been their style this season, uh, Ken. That's exa- uh, oh, mate, <laughs> like, come on now. Come on now. The whole second, oh, has, half, the whole second half of the season, they've just been doing the classic Popovich where they play the most narrow team possible and try and catch teams out on the break. And you know what? It's worked for them. And when they have gotten the ball, they have played some good stuff. But I think that's more down to the quality of players that they've got than any particular system they've been playing. Because yeah, well, don't forget, they have, they have had their, their wingbacks bombing on forward, but they've been playing with pretty much two defensive midfielders all season, which is essentially a back seven. And... Uh, look, I'm not. Well, I don't. Yeah. I don't want to take away anything from the champions. Look, they were the most consistent across the the, the whole season. And if we're going to draw anything from the results that they had against Sydney, I think the second match where they beat them three one is probably the most relevant one in this case because they were playing at home. A and B. That was when they were really in their pomp, and that was when Sydney FC were still very much in the title challenge. And that that result was the one that took Perth. What. I think it was nine points clear at the time, so mm. it, it, it really, yeah. it really did put a massive damper on Sydney FC's season at that time, and I think that it's gonna, it's gonna go along the lines of of something like that where Perth just absolutely closed down or attempt to, like they did against Adelaide, try and close down the space as much as they can, and then hope that their their star quality up front can take the ball forward and attack that Sydney FC defensive line now. One thing that I do fear for Perth if they do attempt this is that Sydney FC, like you said, are going to be absolutely buzzing from that victory uh, from that victory against their fierce rivals uh, down south. Yeah, and in, if they hit, Melbourne, if, if they hit the ground running, yeah, absolutely, Cam. Yeah, and Perth. But that if, being said, Perth have more than enough in their locker to to come back from a from a deficit if Sydney do end up coming out of the blocks and scoring early. And and more than anything, I think that any predictions we make are going to be absolutely rubbish because compared to considering what what has come to fruition based on our previous predictions leading up to this game now, they've been pretty much completely wrong. <laughs> Apart from yours, yours with um, Melbourne beating Wellington pretty handily. So <laughs> I'm probably going to take a little bit of a break from this one to be honest and just say that I'm going to enjoy the final That's... because it is the two best ga- the two best teams in the A League, like we've said. And it's probably going to be one of the best finals that we've seen based on the quality that's going to be on show because we've got two of the best players in the A-League in, in Diego Castro and Milos Ninkovic going up against each other and also two of the most prolific goal scorers in Andy Keogh and Adam LaFondra. So i got, I got to say I'm really, really excited for this one. It's too bad we don't have many Aussie names amongst that, but that's what the marquees are for. That's what the international players are for, to strengthen teams. And then we've got such an engine in um, both of those squads with Aussie talent. And it's really good to see. And I hope that, um, like you said, I share the same sentiment. It's it's not about making predictions at this point, even though we would probably be wrong. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it, it, it is good just to watch good Australian football it has been a good season I think overall besides maybe uh, a few bits and bobs that are a little bit unsavory but this is a this is a great um, upper to finish the season on and I'm really looking forward to it too Cammy. absolutely and on that note if you want to get in touch with us about anything we've spoken about or if you want to hit us up with your own predictions please feel free you can email us our email address is admin at footballnotsoccer.org you can also hit us up on twitter or on Instagram, the handle there is at FNSPod. You can also go on Facebook, search for Football Not Soccer Podcast, and you will find us. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please feel free to go through and give us a rating and a review based on, on how you enjoyed this episode. I mean, we would love a five-star review, but you know what? Just give us whatever you feel is right. We do want to get out there to as many Australian football fans and just football fans generally so that we can continue harboring one of the best communities of, a, of football in the world. Don't let people tell you that it's shit because it isn't. We have one of the strongest communities uh, as far as football is concerned and you should be proud of what you are creating just by listening to this podcast and by going to games. <laughs> Rob, do you have <laughs> any last words before we bust out of here and... Uh, and let the listener get back to their train ride. <laughs> uh, I don't have anything else to say, but just make sure you watch the game and keep that conversation going amongst uh, footballing fans and people that don't know much about it. Because uh, like like you said, we are a community and we are the best because football is the best. Football love is it. the best. 
Got to love it. Thanks for listening to Australian Football. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Football Not Soccer, your favourite Australian football podcast. My name's Camilo. My name's Rob. See you later. Is Emery going to actually start Lacazette and Aubameyang or are you going to give the title to Chelsea? Nah, <laughs> there's no title going to Chelsea this season, mate. Just be happy <laughs> Just be happy that you got into the Champions League by a traditional route. I don't think you guys are going to want it enough. <laughs> I think we're definitely going to want it enough and yeah. I think that Chelsea are going to absolutely slap the titties off Arsenal. <laughs> oh my God, that is, that is not going to happen, dude. We're going to fucking... <laughs> Europa League has been our bitch this season. Dude, we went to, we went to the Sao Paulo... We went to the San, San Paulo in Naples and fucked off Napoli. I'm not worried about Chelsea and Baku. Not at all. (laughs) Uh, Chelsea and Baku is, that's a funny fact about Baku is is Chelsea always win there, which I just made that all up, but we're definitely going to smack So you're a liar as well as a fucking crazy motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah, I'm definitely a liar or a storyteller, whatever you want to, whatever you want to say. But you know what, Cam? I actually am really pumped up for the Europa League final because it's on at like 3 p.m. in Berlin. So I'm going to be oh, loving that. Oh, that's so lucky for you. Remember when I called you and I was like, it's at 9 p.m. Yeah, Google got that wrong. It's on a bloody Wednesday. What time Wednesday, is it? It's on a Wednesday morning at 5 a.m. Thursday. Sorry, Thursday morning. Thursday morning, 5 a.m. Oh, that's so good. But there is a club local to oh, me that's, so that's going to be playing the game and it's an Arsenal supporters club official in the city that I'm in. So Give it a I'm shout out, man. very, very excited to go out. down there. Well, if, <laughs> if you're in the Sydney, if, Cent- you, if, if you're, you're in Sydney and you want to go to, to watch the Arsenal game with uh, Camilo Zanoni, known for his football, not soccer podcasting, feel free to come down to West, <laughs> West Ashfield and uh, make sure you show up wearing a Arsenal or a Chelsea jersey because otherwise you won't be allowed in. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. And what about Tottenham Liverpool? If if just 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 to say before you say anything, if Liverpool fuck this Champions League up against Tottenham, oh my God, that is dude. the worst season for them ever. And I just feel for any Liverpool fan, and not really because it'd be funny, and. But, you know, it'd also be the most Spursy thing if Spurs go into the game and fuck it up. So I, I don't know which team I care mate, for less. I I've, think got, I I've got a real, real pickle to deal with over here because, like, I, w- I would obviously prefer for Liverpool to win it because I, I don't want Spurs to ever win anything, right? But the likelihood, <laughs> the likelihood that Mauricio Pochettino leaves Spurs if they win the Champions League, I would say is pretty high. And I would literally put down their quality entirely to him because the fact that he's had to do that with like with no squad over the last five years yeah he brought through Kane who's the captain now and the best stri- their best yeah. strike he brought through Ali yeah he brought through like well half I mean the squad Ali and came made them from like average players yeah, exactly. to very good exactly yeah, yeah. And, and obviously they brought Lucas Moura who was the hero against Ajax and but they even got him on a budget and you know their best player is Christian Eriksen who they signed for what 23 million five six years ago now uh, less I think it was 11. Yes. So yeah. so that that is, you know, it's outrageous and I, I think that their quality comes down entirely to the coaching. So I'm 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 mm. in this weird crossroads where I don't want Tottenham to win the Champions League because Arsenal have never won the Champions League and I fucking would hate to see that happen. But it also means that Pochettino leaves and they probably I would say take a massive step down in terms of quality because although they've gone to the new stadium and all that fucking bullshit I can't see anyone doing what Pochettino's managed to do there, especially if they're, you know, if they uh, if their financial guy Daniel Levy, whatever role he does, keeps the the purse strings as tight as he has, you know. So 
look, I'm not saying I want Tottenham to win it, but them winning it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, I guess, if Pochettino leaves after that happens. <laughs> Wait, you ha- you haven't said anything about Liverpool in that whole thing except for <laughs> you want Tottenham to win, so they're shit next no, year. No, I want Liverpool. I want Liverpool <laughs> I think, to win it. I think Liverpool deserve. I think Liverpool think Liverpool, Liverpool deserve it, to I win think, it. And I think with the the weeks off, um, the, the the what is it? Ten days they've got like almost two weeks. It's three weeks. I yeah. think um, three weeks. Is it three? Uh, I think that'll do Liverpool some favours more than anything um, yeah. because they've had a long season. They What did they get? 90, 97, 97 points? points? That's insane. Yeah. I know. They would be hurting. It's and ridiculous. I think um, on the pain of last year of having the worst keeper in Champions League final history carry us, drop those two fucking howlers. Oh, I yeah. think, um, yeah, they, they'll, they'll have a bit of a chip on their shoulder. That wasn't it, though. I think they'll have a bit of a chip on their shoulder and they're going to take Tottenham. It was Ramos. It was Ramos doing Salah that did him in last season, and and you know what? I I would even I was even that's hazard what, that's why they couldn't say, score. Yeah, but I would I would hazard to say that if that happened again this season, like if if I don't know if I don't know Musa Sissoko or something went in and did Salah in, and he couldn't play the rest of the game, I would still back Liverpool to come through and win, Con- considering the depth that they've yeah, got. Yeah, they changed their game. They are. They are so much better than they were this time last season, and it's not even just down to Becker, uh, Allison, and um, and Van Dyke and all. Van I mean, Dyke. Van Dyke was there last <laughs> season, you know. It's not even down to them. It's the fact that their fullbacks have come on so well. Their midfield, like fucking, what's his name? What's that Brazilian guy's name? Uh, Fabinho, the midfielder. F- Fabinho, yeah. He no, not, not Fabinho. Fabinho. <laughs> Fabinho. It's not Fabinho, is it? Yeah, Fabinho. Yeah. He, it's something along those lines. He He's a fucking gun. And you know what? I remember them playing him against Arsenal when we beat them. Uh, not when we beat them, sorry. When we drew with them one all at the um, at the Emirates. When Lacazette scored that awesome goal where he cut, it, he cut back around into the box and swerved in the back corner. And he had an absolute shocker against one of the, probably the weaker midfields in the Premier League, uh, you know, in the Premier League elite. And... And now he's just mm. absolutely unplayable. Like you, you just can't fuck with him at all. So, so I think, yeah, I, I think, yeah, Liverpool, and it was a very good signing. And for I would them, hate, yeah. I would hate, I would hate for Liverpool to go go so close with City this season, and then and then lose the Champions League to Spurs, who are significantly worse than them in terms of in terms of playing quality. <laughs> Honestly, like they are. They yeah, are. it it. It it was Fabinho, by the way. You, yeah, we is. were both right yeah. on that. Um, but you know who else has been a real huge change? Uh, I don't know where it came from. Henderson just decided he was good at attacking all of a sudden. Yeah. And he's just been chipping in for like these weird assists. Just like uh, it's a weird thing. Everything's just clicked into place for Liverpool this season. Uh, obviously, when you've got Man City, who are basically robotic at the moment with the way that Guardiola coaches that team, which I hope he's sick of it. I hope he's just ready to go. 198 points in two seasons, man. Like that, that is out, outrageous. It's outrageous. Can't believe it. That is outrageous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, man. I reckon we wrap it up there and um, we go home and, you know, yeah, man. I gotta, children I gotta go to bed. To, I gotta, well, I got to go to bed. It's fucking midnight. So <laughs> I got to go to work. Tomorrow. All right, mate. But, um, but yeah, good All right, chats. Buddy. In that case, up the arsenal. Love you, buddy. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>